Welcome to the Auto Supply Chain Profits Podcast, where we help you prepare for the future in the auto supply chain. I'm Jan Griffiths, your co-host and producer. I'm Kathy Fisher, your podcast host. Our mission is to help automotive manufacturers recognize, prepare for, and profit from whatever comes next in the auto supply chain. I'm Terry Onika, your podcast host. We'll be giving you best practices and key supply chain insights from industry leaders. Because the auto supply chain is where the money is. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Auto Supply Chain Profits Podcast. And with us today is Phil Idison, Managing Director of the Art of Procurement. Phil, you are on a mission to 10x the impact of procurement. What's up with that? Tell us about that. Yeah, so I've been in procurement for all of my career, really, 20 plus years. We have a couple of challenges. One is the perception of procurement on the outside and the role that procurement can play, but also in how we think ourselves about procurement and the impact that we can have. And so really this mission to 10x the impact of procurement is to help procurement folks kind of think outside the box, reimagine the after the possible, what can they do, what they can be thinking about. If they had a blank sheet of paper, how would they design their role in the organization? And let's go and make it happen. And, you know, trying to inspire people to make it happen. I know that you have a broad background covering multiple industries. But today, we're going to take you back to your automotive roots. Are you ready? Those were my favorite days. Like you say, I've been in a lot of different industries, but automotive is where I started. It's probably the single industry I spent the most time in. And there's just something to be said about, you know, the tangible nature of working in automotive and being able to see what you worked on driving down the street. So I love it. Well, uh, you mentioned perceptions. And one perception that is kind of ingrained in the automotive supply chain is that procurement is the automotive supply chain. And I was wondering, what is your perception of where procurement fits in the automotive supply chain? Yeah, I think that uh, procurement in automotive has a as an impactful a role as in any industry. I think that's because of the cost, you know, margins are pretty tight within the automotive business. And so the cost of bringing in components um, is such an important part of that profitability. But procurement plays certainly a much more influential role in automotive as in any other industry that I've been in, just in terms of being that connection between the supply markets and obviously the automotive company itself, whether it's tier one, tier two, whether you're an OEM, and everything related to cost, quality, everything on time, procurement plays a role in everything and is usually the one that gets the call when things go wrong. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, one of the things too we've found is that oftentimes when we're talking in the automotive supply chain about the supply chain itself, there's a focus on quality. There's no doubt about that. There's also measurement of on-time delivery, but oftentimes there's not the recognition that on-time delivery is part of, let's say, customer service and customer satisfaction. So how do you encourage procurement professionals to realize that that procurement and, let's say, customer satisfaction in particular is more than just quality? Yeah, it's this uh, just assumption that on-time delivery is a given. And so if you're not, then it's a problem. But if you do, if everything works as it should do, it's kind of forgotten because the machine is working. And probably covid shined a light on many things, but one of them was the availability and the delivery issues that procurement actually helps to support. One of the things I found within the automotive space was there's so much of a focus on procurement performance related to cost savings. Cost savings was everything. And we can all kind of game the system 
to demonstrate that cost savings have been delivered in certain ways in the way that we structure contracts and all this kind of stuff. But there wasn't necessarily that much focus placed on things like supplier quality and uh, supplier performance in terms of delivery and innovation, you know, bringing new innovation in from the supply base. And because those things weren't measured, then they weren't focused on from a procurement perspective. That's one of the things that I probably struggled with the most within auto procurement was this just focus every single year, 3% savings, 3% savings, 3% savings, and nothing else seemed to matter. Yeah, I remember those days well from my procurement days in automotive. I'm glad you mentioned COVID, though, because, of course, we've been seeing unprecedented disruptions in the automotive supply chain as well as other supply chains. And I'm curious, what is procurement's role relative to managing these disruptions? I think that procurement really stepped up and played a leading role in securing supply during COVID. You know, not with 100% success, I would say, because there were such big factors and forces hindering supply chains. But I think that uh, what was interesting is that the rest of the organization suddenly saw procurement in a different light in how they could actually support the business. And it wasn't just about cost savings. In fact, right now, it's probably more about cost increase mitigations as opposed to cost savings, but that we could play a really leading role in availability of supply. I think what's important for procurement professionals, you know, listening is how do you maintain that position as supply chains become back to some level of normalcy now? I think that's going to differ on a commodity by commodity basis of what normal looks like. But as the, you know, as organizations get more complacent again about delivery being a given, are they going to then go and put procurement back on the shelf and say, okay, that was great. You helped me when I was in my hour of greatest need and I don't need you anymore. Or has the procurement teams been able to demonstrate while they had that kind of increased exposure, there's a whole lot more that we can do to support the business than even just maintaining supply and cost management. Yeah, and and I think this idea of going back to normal is such a falsehood. We can't live in the status quo anymore, especially with how rapidly things are changing. How do procurement professionals break this thinking of status quo, especially with their executive leaders? When you think about how executive leaders are influenced, oftentimes it's through folks from outside of their own business. And so when I look at procurement transformations, procurement transformations often happen because either an executive has picked up some tidbit of information on the outside or they've spoken with a peer in another business that's had success in leveraging procurement in a certain way, for example, or maybe they've been working with a big consulting firm and they just finished a finance transformation or they just finished operational excellence transformation or something and the consultants went and said, hey, you know that there's this opportunity in procurement and that's how change happens. So I think about from a, what influence do procurement professionals themselves have. It's about showing up every day. It's about being more uh, empathetic with your stakeholders, understanding what the true needs are, and focusing on the needs of the stakeholders as opposed to your individual metric-driven needs, and demonstrating by doing. That's really then how you build advocates who look at procurement and start to look at procurement in a different way. And hearts and minds are changed You know, when the CEO and the CFO are driving the car together to the next conference or the next supplier or customer meeting, and they have a chat about procurement, that's where internally I think that um, perceptions are changed. So that's a big thing for me is just being a lot closer to what the business really needs. My experience in automotive was you can meet all your savings targets, you can blow them out of the water, 
and you can get fired because you really upset everybody in the process. You can miss your savings targets, but if everyone on the executive team is going and saying what a wonderful job procurement has done in supporting them, then you know, you're going to be safe in what you do and you're probably going to be asked to do more. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious about what exactly those things are, because what I've observed from the time that early in my career, I was involved in procurement in the automotive space. And we really strived to build those partnerships with our suppliers. And today, when I look at procurement across automotive, even outside, but especially in automotive, it seems so transactional. So how do we move the procurement function from being viewed and viewing themselves as transactional to being strategic partners for the business and their suppliers. Yeah, I think that's a really complex answer to that as well, because a lot of times the business puts procurement forward to do the dirty work Mm -hmm. that they don't want to do themselves. How many times have you seen the CPO writing to all suppliers in automotive saying, okay, you're all going to take a a 3% cut across the board in your prices and we're going to start paying you in 120 days, you know, rather than 30 days. Oh my Um, God, yes, yes, yes. I've seen that a hundred times, yes. Yeah, just last week, actually, I saw that personally. (laughs) And so, you know, how is that going to help procurement build relationships with suppliers? And so we have to help our organizations see the value of, because that happens because our organizations don't necessarily see the value in strategic relationships with our suppliers. Our organizations see those relationships as being transactional. And the bigger company you're in, the bigger brand that you have, you know, on the the wall outside the building, the more comfortable you are that you're in this environment where you've got all this leverage and it's a power game. While the business thinks of that as being a power game, then it's really hard because you go through this cycle where you need to take cost out. So you start to see all these letters and threats and we're never going to work with you ever again. And, you know, because this is automotive, you've only got a captive audience of three or four customers. So you have to really, you know, take what you're told to do. When you're taking money off the table, then they're not going to come when later on in the cycle, you say, hey, let's have a look at all your great innovations. They're not going to come to you and share their innovations with you. So I do think that's it's a bigger issue than just procurement. And procurement probably needs to be making the rest of the business aware of these are the trade-offs you're making. I think the other challenge we have, though, is that when we go and then ask for money to invest in procurement, we tell the CFO, well, you know, your ROI is going to be tied to cost savings. We're going to save you all this money. And so when we position our own ROI based on cost savings, then we've only got ourselves to blame when that's the only thing that the organization asks for from us or knows that we or thinks that we can do. Yeah. Are you seeing a change relative to the new EV players, the Teslas, the Rivians, the Lucids, et cetera? I think that's one of the challenge of, you know, traditional big OEMs is they've got this legacy of how they acted. And some of these companies were the, at the forefront of the birth of strategic procurement the GMs and the Fords this world, I was doing things within Ford and within a company that then split from Ford, Invision, 22 years ago. I see many companies in other industries today in 2023 not doing and not being as advanced as. So these companies really did, you know, bring strategic procurement to the fore, but we'd use power dynamics a lot of the time in how to get what you wanted. And I think for the EV manufacturers, as they started their businesses, they're competing with the big guys and they're having to prove to, they're going to make their case to the suppliers that the suppliers should invest in them. Then they always have to take a different approach because that's how they differentiate themselves. So I think they've got that advantage. Mm. 
So you talk about thinking outside of the box. This maybe sounds like one of those ingredients of thinking outside the box. What are some other ways that procurement, especially in automotive, can think outside of the box currently, especially as we're going through this transformation to EV and even autonomous vehicles? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you're looking at EV and autonomous vehicles, the number one role that procurement can play is around innovation and its availability of innovation, whether that's, you know, the materials that you need to mine to put into the batteries versus just standard off-the-shelf components that are built into EV vehicles. I think that's the biggest role because ultimately the collective R&D capability of the supply market is many, 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 many times higher than any OEM can ever do themselves, even if you're the biggest OEM in the world. So being that conduit to innovation, I think is the biggest role that we can play. Phil, you cover many different industries, multiple different companies. I mean, you're you're entrenched in procurement all day long. What industry would you say has got this strategic partnership thing really nailed down? Where could our automotive audience, what, what, where could they look to for some guidance? In, in your opinion, who, who does it well? So interestingly, I would say... When I think of those organizations who are most advanced right now in procurement, it's those in the telecom space. Ah, that's interesting. So companies like BT, like Vodafone, MTN, which is another one, which is, um, you know, mostly in Africa and the Middle East. Those are really ones that, you know, and you look at like the most awarded right now procurement teams. It's all those teams in those areas where... You're probably because the cost is not the number one focus, but they still recognize the value in having a really strategic procurement team. And so some of those organizations are actually then looking at procurement as a service. They can use their own procurement teams to be a service that they can then sell into other smaller telecom companies, for example, or even people within their uh, supply base and their suppliers and being a help for their suppliers to leverage the skill that they've got. So that's really interesting for me as I see like where... Who are the companies that are investing in technology and procurement, who are trying new things, who are doing a lot of experiments? That's a lot of telco. Now, I have some experience in finance, uh, financial services as well. Financial services has always been interesting to me. Yes, they have a relatively mature procurement group, but it's all about risk. And so when you think about risk, that was really eye-opening for me working in financial services, was that being in an environment where risk management and third-party risk management is a regulatory requirement is really interesting to see what they have to do and how they think about risk versus even my automotive days, you know, which hopefully things have moved on a little bit since then. But when I was there, you know, risk meant running a Dun & Bradstreet report on the financial health of a, a supplier. And if the credit check wasn't blazing red, then we're good to go. You know, we'll take another look next year. And so some of the regulatory requirements can be a little bit cumbersome. So it's more around looking at financial services regulation, for example, around third-party risk and just taking good practice. You know, thinking, well, fortunately, we're not regulated, so we don't have to go and do all these things. But what are they doing that we could bring over and replicate? And fortunately, I remember the days of just looking up the Dun & Bradstreet yeah. as well. We are being a little bit more let's yeah. say, uh, global and uh, expansive in our risk thinking today. But there's definitely some opportunity to to continue to escalate that. You also mentioned about from the telecoms, the technology. And I'd like to circle back to that and understand what type of technology opportunities do you see procurement can leverage 
in order to really be able to support the organization and create those partnerships with their supply chain. Yeah, it's interesting as the procurement technology has exploded over the last three or four years. You know, it's gone from few players to, uh, I think it's there's somewhat overwhelm for a lot of folks in the space not really knowing where to go and what to look at. For me, when you think about it from a direct materials side, really the, the best investment in technology right now is in enabling collaboration. It's understanding prices, it's understanding cost breakdowns, it's understanding should cost models, doing all those things at scale, because we never really were able to do those things at scale and they're all kind of people-based, so we can actually understand the cost of what we're doing. But then it's about enabling collaboration, because, you know, you think about in anything procurement, not just automotive, one of our challenges is late involvement. The impact of late involvement when you're buying a service, you know, maybe in six months' time or 12 months' time, go back to market or you can do something which which you know changes things so it's not necessarily a negative five year a decision that's going to impact you five years but you look at early involvement in the automotive space and if you're not involved in new product development for example and you're not involved even at the sales side when you're starting to build bill of materials to quote a business on then you've got things that are locked in before procurement ever got involved and now that's you know, it can be a five or a 10 year decision that we never had any chance or opportunity to play a role in. So anything that brings procurement closer to our stakeholders and enables more real-time collaboration and kind of the central repository of organizational knowledge, I guess, around all these conversations, um, I think is a really great place to start. And I love that you're bringing up collaboration. Back in early May, I uh, had the opportunity to speak with Dave Andrea from Plant Moran. And of course, they do their worker relationships survey each year with the automotive suppliers and their perceptions of OEMs. And I asked Dave to kind of give me like, what's the one word that is kind of the theme of this year's survey results? And he said to me, collaboration. And I was so thrilled to hear that because I don't think it's only collaboration inside of the organization. It really is across the ecosystem because the types of procurements that the automotive industry is facing now with the new technology is changing. It's not just mechanical and electrical, it's electronic, it's software, it's integrated systems. So how are those things that we're now obtaining for the new technology of our vehicles changing the procurement needs, let's say? What's really interesting now is how you're driven by some of the factors you talked about, but also sustainability. When we're thinking about sustainability, you know, these are industry-wide problems that if you don't solve as an industry, then every player in that industry is going to suffer. And so actually you need competitors or former competitors to come together and actually try and solve some of these problems together, especially around resource availability. It's interesting when you see what Ford and GM have done recently with Tesla and signing up to use the charger, supercharger networks. So Tesla becomes a platform now. They'll probably make more money as being a platform than they ever will being an automotive manufacturer. But they're realizing that to get adoption, everyone has to come together and work in ways that they haven't previously worked. And so from a procurement perspective, that means you'll have dual relationships. You have a relationship with a customer. That customer can also be a supplier. I can't see uh, GM or Ford sending Tesla the letter that says we're going to, um, you know, take out 5% cost savings and put your days payable to 120 when they're going to be reliant on their supercharger network. So there's just a lot more complex relationships that I think that one we have to think about, but we have to embrace. But like, how do you manage that? Because you can't manage those relationships in a traditional way. 
Yeah, absolutely. We shared with you a little bit of the work that we've been doing for the past several years and really transforming the thinking of supply chain in automotive from the traditional supply chain to more of a supply ecosystem. And alongside of that, we realized that there was 24 essential supply chain processes that really needed to be formalized within the OEMs straight down tier one, tier two throughout the supply chain and viewed more holistically as well. And so I think we shared those with you, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on our 24 essential supply chain processes and this vision that we have for automotive supply chain going forward. Yeah, no, I, I definitely believe in ecosystems. You know, ecosystems, we see this across, whether it's ecosystems within technology, whether it's ecosystems in our day-to-day, bringing up the app store on your phone, everything is connected in some way, shape, or form. And there's so many unintended consequences of, of, as well of something that you do in one place, the ecosystem, and it having a knockout effect on somewhere else that we never really identified because every time we we're always just operating in silos and looking at things in silos. I think this comes down to collaboration, again, that we just talked about before, is actually, you know, no longer is a procurement person, somebody who is focusing on their category of spend, and it's all about, I'm the best person in the world who has ever bought this chip, and so I know how much it should cost. There's so much more that goes into not just total cost of ownership, but beyond in terms of the full supply chains, around risk, about optionality that we've never had to think about before, that if COVID has taught us anything, it's that you need optionality. You need to have scenario plans. You know, you need to have plan B, C, D, and E, and you need to figure out how all these things are going to interact uh, within each other. Those are some of the processes that we highlighted in those 24 essential supply chain processes as well. So what do you see, Phil, as the future for procurement, in particular in the automotive space? I think that procurement is this really interesting fork in the road. My background in automotive procurement as well was actually living in India, uh, running a captive shared service center. Uh, This was 15 years ago. I see that technology is the next generation of outsourcing, and you can either fear it, and if you fear it, then somebody else is going to figure out how your organization can best take make use of that. You're going to be out of that decision altogether, and most likely when that happens, you're negatively impacted by it. Or you can embrace it and say, okay, i got to figure out how to use generative AI in the context of my job before somebody else does. Uh, because when I figure it out, I'm going to be figuring out how it can help me rather than how it can replace me. So I think that there's a lot of conversations going on right now within procurement teams around how can we best leverage all this new technology that we're starting to have access to in a way that helps us, not forgetting the the, the table stakes that we've got to do, which is still cost management, which is on-time delivery, which is supplier quality. But how can we use all this information, this data and insights that we're getting to actually help the, the business make different decisions? And what that looks like, I don't know. Like, I, I wish I had a magic ball to say, okay, in five years' time, procurement's going to look like this. And in 10 years' time, procurement's going to look like you know something else. I do believe we'll have much smaller teams. I believe those teams will be more impactful. I believe they'll be working on much more kind of commercial strategy versus the day-to-day blocking and tackling. But aside from that, you want to have a, a general idea of where you think the, a profession is heading, I feel, but without being too kind of focused on this is the end game. Because I don't think there is an end game. New technology is going to come out. We're going to learn new things. We're going to do things in different ways. It's just about being embracing all this change that's going on around us and seeing how can I just translate that into something that supports my business in a better way than I do today. Phil, if there's one thing 
one piece of advice that you would give to automotive supply chain procurement leaders out there right now? What's something that they should start thinking about or doing immediately? That's a great question. I think the biggest challenge that we hear from CPOs at the moment is digital literacy of their teams. So how can you be helping your teams become more curious, more interested, more open, more literate in terms of the technology that's around them and the ways they can use that to their advantage? That's a big thing for me. I mean, I can talk about aligning with your stakeholders and uh, you know, making sure that you're providing value for them and all those kinds of things. But digital literacy is a big issue for procurement teams right now. So as much as you can do to help take your teams on that journey. Because otherwise, we hear these CPOs that have invested in all this technology, the teams don't know how to use it, there's no adaptability. Then they look back and say, well, what was the point in us buying this technology? Well, it's because your teams didn't necessarily know how to put it into practice, not that there was anything wrong with the technology itself. Yeah. And if our audience wants to learn more about what's happening in the world of procurement broadly, not just in automotive, then they should definitely tune into your podcast, the Art of Procurement podcast, which has been running for how long now? Eight years now. Eight years? Mm-hmm. Wow. We've grown to be the largest procurement podcast in the world. You know, we have 25 to 30,000 listeners uh, every month and still going strong. Well, you are on your way to that 10x impact yeah. for procurement. Phil Idison, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Are you ready to find the money in your supply chain? Visit www.autosupplychainprofits.com to learn how or click the link in the show notes below.